have you ever found yourself in an argument that you just can't win or where you're stuck arguing a point you don't even believe in or the person you're arguing with just isn't listening? Well, I reckon we've all been there before. Our next guest, Bo Sio, though, he might have some tips on how to avoid this type of situation. He's a two-time world champion debater and a former coach of the Australian National Debating Team and the Harvard College Debating Union, no less. His new book, Good Arguments, How Debate Teaches Us to Listen and Be Heard, talks about why the art of disagreement has fallen out of favour and outlines some key points for arguing well in our increasingly polarised world. Bocio, thanks for joining me in the studio. Now, you describe your interest in debating not just as a hobby but an unhealthy obsession. What has drawn you to it? How did you first get involved? As with a lot of unhealthy obsessions, I think it came from deprivation. I moved to this country when I was eight from South Korea and I didn't speak English. And I very quickly learned that the hardest part of crossing language lines is adjusting to real life conversation. And the hardest conversations to adjust to were disagreements, because that's when passions tend to run and people's facial expressions stop matching what they're saying and they mid-sentence pivot into talking about something completely different. Some combination of that and and the sense that I got, I was very different from my peers, that those differences could mark me out as an outsider. All of that made me resolve to be very agreeable. And the thing that broke me out of that was a promise that my year five teacher made me, which was that in debating, when one person speaks, no one else does. Mm. And to someone who had been interrupted and spoken over, that sounded like a kind of an irresistible promise. Mm. And it was the beginning of, uh, as you say, an obsession. So debating initially helped you feel included. And heard. You speak about training for disagreeing. Mm. What is involved in that training and how do we learn or how do we effectively disagree well? And the debating community does it in a really forensic way by playing out these disagreements. You start to isolate what the different elements of, of disagreements are. So the first step for me to disagreeing well is you start with some level of agreement. And that's agreement about what it is that you're arguing about and how you're going to have that argument. So we don't want our disagreements to become all-consuming. And in order for us to prevent that, we have to say, well, we're having this conversation and not something else. And Mm. we're going to do it by taking turns. And we're going to do it by focusing on the arguments and not attacking one another. So it starts with some level of agreement. And then in the book, I go through all the different skills of actually putting together an argument. And an argument isn't just an inchoate expression of all your feelings about a particular subject. It is a a point that's justified and illustrated and and made relevant and important to the other side. And there's a skill in responding to that argument. Mm. There's another skill in using language and gesture and speech to most persuasively make that point. And so breaking down disagreements, which can feel like this kind of unruly state of being Mm. into different components and working at them uh, is how debaters train. So the debating world and these championships that you're involved in, it has structures, it has rules. Yeah. Life often doesn't. Yeah. So how do you translate what you're doing so well in a structured way into everyday life? Debating does have structures, but they're actually quite minimal and they're easy to navigate uh, because children do it, 
right? And it is as easy as saying, well, we're going to agree on what the topic is. We're going to give each other roughly equal time in which to speak. How do we kind of get better at it in, in our everyday life? Mm. One is to bring the structure in to so some who's extent. Respon- who, who can bring that structure in into the, the, the kitchen table, the boardroom, the playground? anybody at the table to make it as a suggestion and to get some consensus, right? So disagreement is something we should be entering into very deliberately. And that can be after a period of discussion. Have we lost, though, some of the rules that should be applied to everyday life when you look at populism that might have arisen in certain parts of the world? Have we lost the art of manners? Have we lost the art of listening? I think we have because we don't even think about it as an art anymore. If we think about how we treat disagreements, it's often we just say what we believe and and that's kind of the end of it, right? As opposed to um, going through really the work of putting your case in the most persuasive possible way. And in order to persuade others, you often need to step inside their shoes and, as you say, listen to them. Mm. And all of those things are really demanding tasks, actually. So regaining those skills, I think, would be helpful. But I think the other thing is, in addition to the loss of skills, there's a kind of a a loss of faith in what arguments and disagreements can do. For me, the prevailing ethic of our time is turn out the base in politics. Mm. It's find your people in your social life. It's like clumping with like. And we have a tendency to treat those who disagree with us as kind of beyond the pale of persuasion. And I think that's a mistake. So there's a skills component, but there's also a belief in what disagreement can do for us that I think we need to restore. So what do you think is worth disagreeing with at the moment in society? So much. (laughs) (laughs) Not enough time? So much. Um, So much. Well, you talk about this in your book, don't you? You speak about what's worth disagreeing about or arguing about and what's not. I mean, I guess maybe the way I'll get at it is what's not worth debating, Mm. right? And the one red line I draw in the book is we shouldn't debate the equal moral worth of persons for a bunch of reasons. But one of them is that it's antithetical to what debate is about which is we give people an equal opportunity to be heard because we accept they have a kind of a worth and they're equals. So there are other things that we should think about. If you're a media organization and you're hosting a debate, it gives the perception that there are two sides, for example, on an issue. And one of the things that I wrestle with now is I do believe debate can be revelatory and can be informative, can be enriching and all of those things. But we shouldn't pretend that it's not a burden right, to have to debate. And for some people, debating is just, I've just had some ideas and I'm going to argue about it. Other people are arguing for their rights. In your book, you have a checklist, the RISA checklist. Yeah. Real, important, specific and aligned. Aligned. Yeah. aligned. And, and that's the structure through which you work <laughs> out whether or not you should enter into a debate. Can you just unpack those, those, that anagram? Yeah. So this comes kind of halfway through the book to ask whether the disagreement that you're about to enter into is an actual disagreement or it's a, otherwise it's a perceived slight or something like that, mm. whether the disagreement is important enough to justify the argument, whether it's specific enough so that you're going to be able to make some progress. It's not you're debating the, the merits of liberalism or something in one fell swoop. And then finally, 
whether the two sides are aligned in their objectives for wanting to engage in the dispute. Um, so if the other person is just in it to hurt your feelings or something like that, that might be a reason to step away from the debate. Mm. I'd be interested to hear, Bo, on your thoughts of how social media has impacted on the art of debate. One of the things that debate makes you very sensitive to is that not every environment is created equal and not every environment can sustain or sustains conversations in the same way. And one of the concerns that I have with social media is the algorithms are designed to promote the most inflammatory material. Um, Often on social media, you're quite indifferent to the person you're disagreeing with. You're kind of engaging in the dispute as a way of getting applause from the people on the sidelines who already agree with you. Mm. Um, So in the book, I actually talk about there's this machine that IBM came up with, um, which is an AI system that can debate humans. Um, And it didn't do terribly well against humans. But I think the world in which that machine might do better is one in which we become quite machine-like in our argument. And that's often what I see in social media, that we put our, we condense our ideas down into 140 characters. We put hashtags on it to make it easily categorizable, right? And um, so I hope the restoration of faith in what debate can do brings people back to the table, mm. brings people back to face-to-face conversation because uh, it's, again, in that encounter... Um, that transformation can happen. As we touched on before, there's not always winners and losers in debates, but often someone comes out on top. Yeah. Um, So how do you ensure that you're feeling good about your arguments if indeed it's not perceived that you've won? That's a wonderful question. Two things come to mind. I think the first is having a broader view of the different ways in which disagreements can be good for us. And Persuading the other side is one of them. Getting your way is one of them. But learning is another. Better understanding the other position so that perhaps in the next conversation you're able to do, to do a better job. Um, we can count those as wins as well. Mm. And I think the maybe the second thing is, you know, this is something I went back and forth on is what is a good argument? Mm. And and there's lots of answers to that question. But the baseline that I said is a good argument is one where both sides on the at the end of it say that was worth it. I would do it again. And maybe that is the real victory, right? In being able to continue the conversation, which means what? Continue the relationship. Mm. Um, and that's important in our personal lives, but it's also important between citizens um, because I think nations are at their best a kind of an evolving conversation where people feel like they have a seat at the table, that they're being heard, and they might not always get their way, but they know that they're given a fair chance um, to express themselves, to disagree, to contest. How important is it that we see our leaders debate in this manner so it's reflected 
um, back onto society. And and just briefly, your assessment, you've been overseas for a while, you're back here for a month, your assessment on how you see our leaders uh, publicly debating issues. I am actually hugely optimistic about um, politics in this country um, and and civic health in this country. And the side of my optimism is less with the leaders and with the people. Um, I think Australia, this book about my education in, in debate is in some ways an answer to the question, what did it mean for me to grow up here and not somewhere else? Mm. And Australia is, an, is a nation of arguers, right? What do people do at the pub is, you know, they put forth strong views mm. and they challenge each other and they joke importantly. And I think there is something about our position um, on the edge of the world um, where we are afforded some critical distance. We have a sense of irony, a sense of humor, um, a sense that things might not always go our way, right? That a lot of the more central metropolises just can't really afford. Um, so that spirit of of bickering and argumentation, I think, is a real source of strength mm. for our country. And um, it is the kind of environment where a good argument can carry the day, right? Our politics, um, as we saw in the last election, is still capable of surprising us. Um, that's not something you can say about a lot of countries um, in a positive way that, you know, maybe because we're not as moneyed in our politics or something like that, that when people say not only are we unhappy with the substance of what some of the major par political parties are arguing for, but the way in which they're playing the game, that we're able to demand something different. So it is obviously very important how our political leaders model disagreements, but I actually see the side of change as being with the people. Mm. Well, given that you are a star debater <laughs> and you've now written a book on the topic. What professional career is suited to the debater? I would say so many um, because, you know, what, what is white-collar work if not sitting in meetings and arguing? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure there's plenty of arguments with blue-collar workers too. Of course. Yeah. yeah, of course, of course. And, I mean, for, for my life, I'm uh, training to be a lawyer. So that feels very... Um, kind of close, right. Close to it. <laughs> I'll have you on my team. <laughs> yeah, close to it. Um, Bocio, it's been great to talk to you. It's a fascinating read. Um, all the best with what lies ahead. Thanks so much. I appreciate your time. Thanks. Well, Bocio is author of the book Good Arguments, How Debate Teaches Us to Listen and Be Heard.